your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 4. Today is Family Sunday. So on this Sunday, we keep all of our elementary age students here in service with us. We do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, we believe that parents need to model what worship looks like in a corporate context. Um, And we need to be teaching our children how to conduct themselves and behave when we gather to worship our God. But then there's another benefit that we give our volunteers a Sunday, our Bridge Kids volunteers a Sunday to be off and to be here in worship with us as well. And so on this Sunday, we worship together as one big family. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 14. Here's what, how it reads. I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You may be seated. So we have been in this series, the profile of a disciple. We say that our mission here at the Bridge Church is to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. And so one question is, if that's your mission, How do you know when you've got one? How do you know when you have a fully developed, uh, devoted follower of Christ? In other words, the question is asking, what are the marks, the characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Christ? And so throughout this four-part series, we've tried to Line out for you explicitly as possible what those characteristics, those marks are. We said in week one that a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who loves God and loves others. That encapsulates the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul, and the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is how Christ himself 
summed up the commandments. Love God, love others. So we say the first mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that they love God and love others. Then the second week, we said that a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who learns Christ. Jesus himself offered this invitation to a mixed crowd saying, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up on me and learn of me. And so Jesus himself He takes the very definition of a disciple, which is a student, a learner, a pupil. And he says that one of the marks of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that they are a learner. Now, they don't learn in order to accumulate more information, but they learn so that they can become like the teacher himself. So the goal of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that they learn Christ so that they can become like Christ. I, I was preaching at a, in chapel at, a, where was I at? Friends this, this week, and I, I was telling them that when, um, when I was living at home with my mom and I would have one of my friends over to, to hang out, first thing she'd do was she'd look at them. And one of two things would come out of her mouth. She would say, she, the first one, if this one would be a question, she'd look at him and say, baby, who are your people? <laughs> ha, uh-huh, you don't ask them questions too. Uh-huh. Uh, she wanted to know who are your people. But there was sometimes she didn't ask those questions. She'd just tell them who their people were. You look like them Johnsons. You related to Rodney? I'm just making up some names. I don't know who they are. In some ways, that's what the world and other believers ought to be able to say about us. They ought to be able to look at us and say, you look like your big brother, Jesus. They ought to be able to look at us and and see Christ who's in us. And so, a full devoted follower of Christ loves God and others. They learn of Christ. But then last week we said that a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who lives by the Spirit. They're letting the Spirit lead them, control them. And one one way we know that one is living by the Spirit is they demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit on a regular uh, uh, basis. They're a world who's full of joy and peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. They, they, they live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh. The sad reality is that some of the most carnal, fleshly people I know are in church. Paul says it ought not be like that. We, because we have the Spirit, and we have when we know we have the Spirit, because we are saved. You cannot be saved without the Spirit. Is what the text said in Romans chapter 8 last week. And so because we have the Spirit, we are spiritual people. And so we ought to live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and not the flesh. And so this last week, as we close this series 
on a profile of a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Christ. A fully devoted follower of Christ is one who leads others to Christ. They lead others to Christ. And that's why I focus our attention this morning on 1 Corinthians chapter 4, because I think it gives us a full picture of what it looks like to lead others to Christ. Look with me, first of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, look with me, first of all, at the relationship, the relationship. Paul here, in his letter to the Corinthians, he used this controlling image, this metaphor. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul shows here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that he sees himself as a father to the Corinthians of whom are his children. The relationship is that of a father to a child. Why is this metaphor important? Because this father-child image was common in Old Testament and Jewish wisdom literature. It oftentimes was used to describe the teacher-student relationship. So when a Jewish student learns so much from their teacher, they consider themselves a child of that, of that teacher. Therefore, Paul is using this metaphor of father-child to depict a discipleship relationship. He, he's saying, you, Corinthians, are my disciples. Thus, Friends, one of the first things that we learn about discipleship from this passage is that discipleship is relational. Discipleship is relational. It requires a relationship between the teacher and the student. You, friends, you cannot disciple from a distance. It, it requires life-on-life life contact. Discipleship requires you to spend time with other disciples. I didn't make this up. This is what Jesus taught uh, uh, what, uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what Mark says about Jesus. He says, and he appointed 12 so that, here it is, so that is a purpose cause, so that they would be with him. And that he could send them out to preach. Jesus appointed 12 primarily to be with him. That's for them to spend time in his presence. So one of the components, friends, of making disciples for Christ was proximity. Physical presence. Discipleship requires a relationship. And some of you, you've already quiet on me this morning because you're saying, Rev, that's just challenging. Do you know what my schedule looks like? Matter of fact, let, let me just put up my phone and show you my calendar. Friends, let me just j jump straight to the chase. Let, let, let's just be real with one another this morning. Busy.
laziness is not an excuse for not discipling others and for you not being disciple yourself. One of the biggest problems we have in the church now is everybody thinks they're too, they're too busy for church. I'm sick of it. Because fully devoted followers know that we ought to seek first, that's priority, the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Not seek first the kingdom of basketball, not seek first the kingdom of football, not seek first the, uh, even the chiefs too. Oh, they lost. Not seek first the kingdom of dance and all these other extracurricular activities. Not even seek first the kingdom of family time. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And so all this talk about being busy, everybody's busy. And what's interesting is the same 24 hours that these disciples had is the same 24 hours we had today. So what's so different about us? I didn't even plan to go there this morning. <laughs> Friends, you were created for discipleship. Your mission in life is discipleship. If you're too busy to make disciples and to be discipled, your priorities are out of alignment. You are outside the will of God. All right, let me give you some hope. Now, now I'm preaching to myself because we are just as busy as y'all are. So then what do you do when you're busy, but yet you know you are commanded to make fully devoted followers of Christ and to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to ask Aaron Fisher to come to help me preach. Stay there. Don't you get up. He will take the mic. I'm using it as an example. He, he will take the mic. <laughs> Have you ever seen on TV they're interviewing somebody, like someone is interviewing a, uh, somebody, then they try to take the mic from the person that's interviewing them, they're like having this tug of war over the mic? That's Aaron. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Aaron, he, he said, Pastor, I need to meet with you. I've got some things going on. I want to talk to you and everything. But Aaron knows I, I'm busy. He knows even professionally and ministerially, he, he knows that I... I have a lot going on. I, I often, it's not, uh, it's, it's easy for me to have three or four appointments per day. And so he knows I'm busy. So he's like, I want to be with you. I want to talk to you. I want to get some counsel, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, okay. And then, you know, this goes, goes on a couple of times. Our schedules are always seem to be in conflict. And I know that as his brother in Christ, I need to make time for him. As his pastor, I need to make time for him. And so here's what I did. I said, how can I not add this to all the other busyness in my life? How can I make time for Aaron in what I'm already doing? Holy Spirit said, hey, you take the baby to Salina a couple of weekends every month to go be with her bio mom. Round trip, that's three hours. So take what you're already doing and tell Aaron he can have you all to himself for three hours. <laughs> now everybody want to go to Salina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, I see. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
I still need me some alone time. I'll give you once a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you've been twice. And so, but we used the time that I was already doing stuff that already had me so busy. And we, he, was right, he was right next to me. If I wanted to, I could have reached over and kissed him on the cheek. Don't worry, Carissa, I didn't and I wouldn't. I took what I was already doing and said, okay, how can I make disciples? How can I be a brother to my brother and what I'm already doing? Our family, basketball season is about to ramp up, and basketball keeps us busy and broke. <laughs> you want to come hang out with me? Let's go to my son's basketball game. If they want them there an hour and a half early anyway, so I got nothing else to do for an hour and a half. Come along with me. And you, some of you, you, you're the same way. You got a lot of stuff going on. Some of you, 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 you work and you eat lunch every day. Don't eat by yourself. This is what we do. Take what you're already doing and, and, and put discipleship on top of it. And that's how you, you start to say, this is how you balance all this busyness, but what you're actually called to do as well. I have a friend. She, she takes uh, her daughter to, to dance. And when, and when I see her there, because I pick up my baby from her, and when she's there, she's doing nothing. Guess what she can be doing in that hour that she's there? Meeting with y'all. See, we're already doing stuff to where we can make time for others. We're called to make disciples. And so it requires a relationship. So then I kind of got the cart before the horse. How does the relationship actually begin, though? I'm glad you asked. It's right here in the text, verse number 15. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The origin of this discipleship relationship was the gospel. Paul proclaimed the gospel to the Corinthians, and because they heard the gospel, they responded by faith, and so they were born again. And so in this sense, Paul's saying, God used me to give birth to you so that now you are a child of God, and I'm your spiritual father. So then we see an order, friends, to disciple someone, they have to be evangelized. There goes that dirty Christian word. We have to share the gospel with others. That's what it looks like to lead others to Christ. Paul says, it's because of the gospel that I am your spiritual parent. I am your spiritual mentor. The gospel is what, what originated this relationship. It was a gospel centered relationship. And y'all know y'all to be sharing the gospel. I don't know what more to say about it. Except go do it. This is a matter of, but you know what? One, in our culture and context today, the easiest way to share the gospel is through 
relationships. So we see a fully devoted follower of Christ is one who leads others to Christ by sharing the gospel with them. To be spiritually mature is to reproduce other disciples by planting the seed of the gospel. So we see the relationship. Now, let's look at the responsibility in the text. What's the responsibility that flows out of this relationship? Look with me. Verse 16. Here it is. Here's the heart of this section. I urge you then, be imitators of me. The imperative of this text is be imitators. Let me tell y'all a story. A few years ago, it was around the holidays, my wife and I were invited to uh, one of my friend's house back in Waxahachie, Texas. And so we were there hanging out, and, you know, it was holidays, so holidays you have leftovers. One of the leftovers was apple pie. So she offered us some apple pie. I like apple pie. My wife just loves anything sweet. So we said, yes. We'd love to have some apple pie. She got a piece. I got a piece. Got a fork. Put it in my mouth. And I immediately said to, my, to myself, oh, my gosh, what is my wife thinking? What is she looking like right now? And I look. Her nose is spread. She's got this face like it's hard to, to, to chew, to eat. Y'all, this apple pie had no sugar. No, no, not, I didn't say low sugar. I said no sugar. And it was like the most tart apples ever. Y'all, my wife can't even fake it. She's awful at this. And so what happened was, I'm just going to tell y'all, she happened to be pregnant at the time. She was like, ooh. I think I'm getting a little nauseous. Here, eat this for me. <laughs> and so I'm eating this no sugar apple pie. And you know, you can't be rude because it was the grandmother that made it. So you're like, mmm, mmm, I got it. That's how she knew I was a keeper because she knew I would eat her no sugar apple pie for her to save face. It was missing a most important ingredient, sugar. How do you forget sugar? Like that apple pie, I think a missing ingredient in our discipleship is imitation. See, see, see we're good. We think discipleship, we immediately think information, teaching. 
We, we do a great job in the church of Bible studies, sermons, Sunday school classes. We load up people on those. We're great on information, but we're light on imitation. Paul says, you imitate me. So there's, there's two things here. The father, as a spiritual father, Paul says, I'm a model worth imitating. Fully devoted followers of Christ ought to be able to say to others, imitate me. See, 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 now some of y'all going to get real holy on me right here. Y'all going to be like, we shouldn't be telling people to imitate us. We should be telling them to imitate Christ. Oh, you sound good. You ought to come get my job. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so Paul says, to imitate me is essentially to imitate Christ. That's how devoted Paul was to God. He was so devoted to God that he took holiness seriously. And so he said, if you imitate me, you're going to be imitating Christ. What would the church look like if, if we all imitated you? Elders, elders-to-be, elders those who desire to be elders. Read 1 Peter 5. It says you ought to be an example to the flock. For, uh, Hebrews 13 and 7, it tells uh, you all to consider the ways of those who have rule over you and imitate them. Now, some of you, 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 you see this idea of imitation as intimidating and daunting. Because you know, <laughs> you know you. So then the question is, can I really tell somebody to imitate me? Or maybe you're at a point where you're saying, I just don't think I'm at that point now to where I can tell others to imitate, to be imitators of me. Two things. Number one, last week's sermon. Start living by the Spirit and stop living by the flesh. Let the Spirit lead you and mortify the flesh. John Owen, old preacher, said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Live by the Spirit. That's, that, that's one of my responses to those who feel intimidated by intim, uh, imitation. But it may be that you are in a season of your life or a stage of your discipleship where you don't need to be the spiritual parent, parent but you need to submit yourself under someone else who can be a spiritual parent. And that's okay. You're not an inferior Christian. Because you can't be the parent now, but you have to be the child. So Paul says here, 
imitate me. Friends, if I was to boil down uh, uh, um, discipleship to two parts, I would say it's two right here. Instruction, we do that well. That's information, teaching. The second part is imitation. That's discipleship in a nutshell. That's how you do it. Instruction and imitation. Paul says, I'm a father to you, and you're my child, so imitate me. As I get ready to close our sermon, we see that leading others to Christ, this fourth mark of a disciple, it's not just evangelism. That's crucial because you can't have a disciple who hasn't been evangelized. But it's also edification. It's helping them grow up and maturing as well. So, so we see that leading others to Christ, it's living in a transparent relationship with another believer whereby they observe Christ-like character and behavior and then imitate that Christ-like character and behavior. This past month, I gave a challenge to the men who attended a monthly breakfast with me. This challenge came from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul instructs Timothy. Here's what it says. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. I told the men in this verse, 2 Timothy 2, 2, we see Four generations of discipleship. You have Paul, who taught Timothy, who's to teach other faithful men, who will then teach others. Four generations. So my challenge to the men at that breakfast was to find a Paul and to find a Timothy. In other words, find someone who can be your spiritual parent then find somebody else who you can spiritually parent. And then have them pass it on. Friends, that's simply what we're looking here. That's what we're looking for here at the bridge. A mark of a fully developed follower of Christ is that they lead others to Christ, but they also lead others in following Christ. No believer alone is the goal. So there's your challenge for the week. Prayerfully consider some context where you can be spiritually mentored and where you can become a spiritually mentor to others. I can tell you this. It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. I'm on kid number three right now. And some of you know this much better than me. You can agree. It won't be easy. But it'll be worth it. It's not easy because sometimes you have to admonish your children. That's what Paul said back 
in verse 14. He says, I wrote these things not to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. To admonish is to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. To admonish is to warn against harmful behavior and habits. It's not easy, but it's biblical. Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sometimes you'll have to admonish. That's not easy. It's not comfortable. But it's necessary for growth. It's not easy, but there will be times where you won't have to admonish, but you'll be able to celebrate because you're seeing them grow in their walk with Christ. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Why is it worth it, preacher? It's worth it because it's what we've been called and commanded to do. It's worth it because in doing it, we are obeying our master. It's worth it because when we obey our master, we do it out of love. It's worth it because at the end of the day, fully devoted followers of Christ bring glory to God. And that's ultimately what we've been created for, his glory. Worship team, you can come back now. Fully devoted followers of Christ. Lead others to Christ. That includes evangelism, but it's not just evangelism. Once a person becomes a believer, our work of discipleship doesn't stop there. It's the beginning. And now we have to teach them that teaching involves instruction, and imitation. All of us, at the end of the day, have a responsibility to be imitators of Christ. Worship team is going to come back now. They're going to lead us in song. This song is simply a gospel song. I mean that literally. Gospel, in the sense that it tells of the wondrous work of Jesus Christ, who died for our sin, who took our place on a hill called Calvary. Because we deserved eternal separation from God because of sin. But God loved us so much. And he didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us what we didn't deserve. He offers eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ first requires a response of faith, belief, in Jesus Christ. It's surrendering. It's to coming to God 
on his terms. And so for someone in here today, you may need, your, your response to today's word is for me to become a fully devoted follower of Christ, I first need to become devoted by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Not in being a good person, not in doing good things, because how do you know good is ever good enough for a good God? All of our efforts will fall short, but the sacrifice of Christ fulfills what, what the law demands. And so we, we, we urge you, don't wait, don't hesitate. Come to Christ today. By trusting in him, the son of God, who died, was buried, but rose the third day with all power in his hands. For those of us who are already saved, and we're sure, we know of our salvation. I ask you the same question that I asked those men this month. Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Who are you going to walk alongside of? Who are you going to ask to lead you? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to be imitated. So what does it take then for you to be able to say, you can imitate me, brother. You can imitate me, sister. Die to your flesh. Live by the Spirit. Let's stand.